Well, we come again to God's Word. Uh, we're going to be looking this morning at uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Um, and, and this is another feeding text. Uh, we, we saw the feeding of the 5,000 a few weeks back, and now we're seeing the, reading about the feeding of the 4,000. And to be honest, because they have so much in common, when I initially was laying these things out, I thought maybe I should take these together, um, just kind of do them uh, at the same time. Uh, there's so many things that are similar. I wasn't sure I could pull off two sermons uh, without repeating myself. But you know what? God and his divine wisdom put both of these things. Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, brought both of these things uh, to bear in this text. He didn't have to. There's many things that Christ did, many miracles that happened uh, that that are left out of the gospel accounts. And I want us to consider what is specifically being drawn out of this particular account here in Mark uh, chapter 8, the second mass feeding that we see. So we'll look at that. But before we do that, let's read uh, God's word. This is Mark Uh, Chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10. Mark 8, 1 to 10. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate. And were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Amen. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Again, we ask that you would apply it to our hearts, that you would show us Christ clearly in it, and that in seeing Christ, we might be moved to love and to live in a way that brings glory and honor to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So Aaron and I, and our family really, occasionally watch uh, reality game show type TV shows. I don't know if this is a true confession or not. Maybe you think they're silly or whatever. Eh, Maybe they probably are. But one of our family favorites is the Great British Baking Show. And after you watch that show, you can't help but be hungry and inspired to go and make some delectable dessert. As my daughter will tell you, she oftentimes makes those desserts for us. But there's another show that my wife and I like. It's kind of the antithesis of the Great British Baking Show. Whereas that show, The Great British Baking Show, is all about indulgence. It includes a giant pantry with every possible ingredient that you could ever imagine. This other show has no pantry, 
no food, no kitchen, no stove, yet it's a show all about food. I know that seems strange, but the show is called Alone, and I'm not necessarily going to recommend it. It's not bad, but I'm, eh. But in this current season of this show, the contestants, they're all survivalists, are dropped into the Arctic Circle in northern Canada on the brink of winter with only 10 items at their disposal. And they have to survive alone for as long as possible before having to call the producers to come pick them up and save them. And whoever survives the longest gets a half a million dollars. But the show is all about food. It's all about staving off hunger and starvation for as long as possible by eating whatever they can find um, or capture or kill. And one contestant was so hungry that he was eating boiled moss. Boiled moss. Anyway, this is how desperate the contestants become for food. And why? Well, we all need food, right? This is just a basic human reality. We need to eat it regularly, daily, multiple times a day. And while our bodies can go for some time without eating, as this show clearly demonstrates, they eventually break down. You see, God made us dependent on food for life. Often, Scripture will equate bread to that life-giving sustenance, the bread of life. Uh, uh, we need our daily bread. Mark here in the Gospel, and Mark here in chapter 8, uh, shows us Jesus with his disciples. And there is a large crowd again, and they're gathered in a desolate place, just as they were before, and there is no food. And not only that, but the text tells us they had been there three days. Now, we don't know. They could have had snacks along the way. We, we aren't told any of those details. But we do know that the people are hungry. Jesus indicates that they are even too hungry to make it home without fainting because they've come from far away, many of them. They, they need their daily bread. And as we'll see, Jesus has compassion on the crowd and provides for them very real food, daily bread. He cares about their physical needs as well as their spiritual needs. And as you know, the case with all miracles, Jesus' compassion goes far beyond the physical. He cares not only for what they are needing physically, but he cares for their spiritual life. And he wants to offer them bread from heaven. There was uh, one contestant on this show uh, who seemed fairly content. He was occasionally eating a rabbit or a squirrel, which is pretty much the standard fare for the show. And mentally, she was okay. On occasion, the producers would send in a medical team to check on the contestants' health, and they sent the, this team to this woman. And when they came to check on her, they took her vitals and her weight and all those things. They informed her that she was starving. 
and that she was close to organ failure. <laughs> it's a ridiculous show. I understand. It's fairly compelling, though. <laughs> anyway, this woman was distraught. She protested, but there was no other course of action. She needed food to live, and so she had to leave. Mark recounts this second mass feeding to reinforce the truth that we desperately need the bread of heaven to live. We desperately need Jesus who gives himself as the bread of life. And I want us to consider our desperate need of Jesus this morning in three ways. Uh, first, I want us to consider it in terms of the word. I want us to think about our need for the word. Uh, we need Christ through his word. And we're going to look at that. Secondly, we need Christ for our daily bread. We need God for our daily bread. We are dependent on him for his provision physically. And finally, I want to call us, all of us who are hungry, to come and feast on Christ, our heavenly bread. So first, we feed on Christ through his word. Now, I think it's important for us to distinguish this account of the feeding of the 4,000 from the previous account, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, there are some very similar aspects. They both occur in a desolate wilderness area. They both occur after Jesus uh, teaches uh, the, the crowd for a time. The, the feeding happens after that. In both cases, there is a multiplication of basic food, bread and fish. And in both cases, the disciples seem baffled at how this was going to be addressed. And in both cases, there's abundance and leftover. These are just a few of the similarities that we see. And critical scholars think that they were the same event, just kind of retold, even though Mark clearly indicates that they are, in fact, two separate events. And um, I think in the very first verse we see this, Mark says, in those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. There's a re repetition here, but Mark understands it is a different event, right? Um, there's also other things. They're in the region of the Decapolis. As I mentioned last week, this was a region on the border of Israel that was a mixed Jew and Gentile region, um, whereas the previous feeding of the 5,000 was in Galilee presumably to Jews. Here, Jesus taught them for three days in our text. We see that. Whereas previously, it seems that Jesus come off, comes out of the boat with his disciples, has compassion on the crowd and teaches them all day and then feeds them a single long day. Before, in the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples had questioned Jesus with incredulity. If you'll remember, they said, what are, you, what are you saying, Jesus? Are we going to go and buy, a hundred, buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? Is, is that reasonable? But here the question is a little more muted. They say, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And then there are also differences in the numbers of things, right? Previously it was 5,000. Now it's 4,000. 
Previously, there were five loaves and two fish. Now it's seven loaves and a few small fish. Also, this time they didn't organize uh, into those groups of hundreds and fifties for the di- distribution. Um, that was a hearkening back to the, 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 the organization of the ancient Israelites. Uh, if you'll remember, there's none of that here. They just, he just sits them down and feeds them. And interestingly, and we'll come to this in a little bit, there, there's a particular blessing of God for the fish. Before it was God gave thanks for the bread and the fish so, sort of tangentially, but here he specifically blesses God for the fish um, as well as the bread. And finally, and I think this is the most telling, is Jesus himself recognizes two feedings, not in our text, but in the subsequent text. Next week, the text we're going to look at, Jesus um, confronts the dull heartedness of the disciples and said, don't you understand the feedings, the various feedings, the feeding of the five and the feeding of the the 4,000? And so we'll look at that next week, but I just want to highlight that Jesus himself recognized that there were different feedings. And now I share all that with you, not necessarily to to look, you know, to say, oh, look, critical scholars, you're wrong. Yeah, I, I think that's important. But I think we have to ask the question. It's an intriguing thing. Why does Mark include both accounts? As we know, there are many miracles that are not included in the gospel accounts. So what is Mark's purpose in, in telling this particular version Uh, not version, but this particular story, occasion of the feeding of the 4,000. And I want to try and look at this by looking at not just the two feeding accounts, but the context that those two feeding accounts find themselves in. And I realize that this is going to be... Maybe, maybe a little more information than you would like, but I, I, it's helpful. So just, I ask you to bear with me for a moment. Um, there is uh, a structure here, not just of a repetition of types of events with regard to feeding, but actually two whole sections in the Gospel of Mark that kind of repeat the same themes over and over again. And I want to look at this. So, it, for example, Mark chapter 6, 31 and following, which is where we get the account of the feeding of the 5,000, and Mark 8 here, in verses 1 to 9, uh, we see two feedings of the multitudes. And then following that account, Mark in Mark chapter 6, we have uh, another uh, account that is similar here in our text. The disciples and Jesus go across the lake. Now, there's a lot more to this story in Mark chapter 6, but here we see that in verse 10 of our text. They get in the boat with his disciples and go across the lake to another region. So there's a parallel there, parallel with the multitudes of the feeding of the multitudes, parallel with the crossing of the sea and the landing on another shore. And then in the beginning of chapter 7, and then in Mark chapter 8, verses 11, 13, there are two distinct conflicts with the Pharisees. Um, We have the conflict over washing of hands and vessels and all of that and eating uh, in chapter 7. And then we'll see in a little bit the Pharisees here who demand a sign in chapter 8. And then there are two conversations about bread. In chapter 7, uh, the, the, there's a discussion uh, about uh, bread uh, and uh, the, the Syrophoenician woman who 
wants morsels of bread, and then he has another discussion with his disciples about bread. And then, after that, there's a miraculous healing in chapter 7 that we looked at. The healing of the deaf man with a speech impediment. And then in chapter 8, there's another healing of a blind man that we will look at. So you see these parallels going going one, next, next, almost different events, but in parallel. And then finally, at the end of Mark 7, verse 37, we have that confession, the the astonishment at what the Lord has done in in healing the deaf man. He says, he has done all things well. And in Mark chapter 8, we see the confession of Peter that Jesus is the Christ. Now, I thank you for letting me take that little bit of time. And now you're saying, well, Rob, that's very academic. What's the point? Why are you showing us these parallels? That's an interesting thing, but what does that have to do with me? Right? That's always the question. Um, But I actually think it's vital to our understanding. There is a dullness of faith on the part of the disciples that we have already seen. And this will come into sort of vivid color later in chapter 8 when Peter finally confesses Christ and then in the very next breath rebukes the Lord. We'll see this kind of dullness of faith. It's played out all through the Gospel of Mark. But Mark, what I think he is doing, he's highlighting the fact that Jesus goes over the same ground again and again, repeating the various signs and miracles to various peoples. He repeats the various teachings. And he does it in order to help those who are following him, the disciples, the crowds, understand who he is. To understand better the nature of the coming of the kingdom and the gospel. And I personally find this deeply encouraging, that Jesus patiently bears with us. He reveals himself to us, not once, not twice, but over and over again, as many times as is necessary. All of scripture in that way is this recounting of the wonders of God over and over again. And there's, there's echoes throughout You see, just as we need daily bread, we need the regular daily feeding upon Christ and his word. Again, this crazy show, I'm going back to it, I'm sorry. Um, Some of the contestants, they try to gain as much weight as possible before going on the show so that they might survive a few extra days on all that stored reserves in their body. I, I know it's insane. Um, I don't know how effective that is or not, but it probably helps. But it only helps, it only helps if they still find food while they're uh, in the wilderness. And I was thinking about this in terms of ourselves with regard to the word. How often do we starve ourselves of the word and wonder why our spiritual health and life is anemic, right? And I also think that there is, I think we have an interest in spiritual highs to going up to the mountain and, and, and like Peter, living on with the transfigured Lord in tents. Um, we like to go to conferences and camps and the like, and I think those are good things. Those are things that can refresh and restore us. 
but they're supplemental, right? We need daily, regular feeding on God's Word. And the beauty and wonder of God's Word is that it's like a symphony, right? The major and minor themes get stated, restated, and they get added onto, and they get put into different uh, keys and all sorts of things so that it adds depth and richness and wonder to the revelation of God in Christ. And that's what we have here with, the, with another miraculous feeding. We have the richness and depth of Christ being revealed in new ways. And by regularly listening to those melodies and harmonies and recapitulations in God's word, our hearts are over and over again being fed and being nourished and being renewed, and our faith is being strengthened. God's word is food for our souls. And as we pour ourselves into it, we are renewed and strengthened by it, by feeding on Christ. And he graciously, graciously reveals himself to us in so many ways, over and over and over again. What an amazing thing. What an amazing feast, friends, we have here our daily bread. But secondly, we are dependent on God for our daily bread. I think it's important for us to examine the spiritual significance of the feeding of the, of the multitude here. That, that is of primary importance, and we're going to come to that at the end as we consider Christ himself as that heavenly bread. Uh, these are meant to be pictures, spiritual pictures. But we would be remiss to ignore the compassion that Jesus has for the physical plight of these people. In the feeding of the 5,000, we are told that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then after expressing that compassion, he feeds them the word. He teaches them. And then he feeds them physical food. But here in the feeding of the 4,000, he teaches them. For three days, he's been teaching them. And then he says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. See, while in the first, Jesus' compassion was directed uh, primarily toward that spiritual condition, Here, Jesus' compassion is particularly directed toward their physical condition. It's kind of an interesting juxtaposition in those two things. Now, of course, it isn't to say that Jesus' ultimate goal is for them to know him as the bread of life. And we'll come to that, as I said. But here in the text, it's directed towards them physically. I think as evangelical Christians, we rightly, rightly, prioritize the gospel, the spiritual need of all people for Christ. But I think sometimes in our zeal for not losing the heart of the gospel, we can overlook or minimize the real physical burdens that people carry, whether it is hunger or illness or grief or injustice. It's never an either-or. 
Jesus fed them spiritually for three days and then he looked on them with compassion because they were hungry and they needed physical sustenance. You see, there there is a psychosomatic union, right? We are body and soul and we ought to view each other in this light. Let that gospel love and freedom that we experience because of that spiritual work flow out of us in practical ways of love towards one another. Of course, Hands on Hartford is coming up, and this is an obvious opportunity, a very practical way to, to, to feed, right? It's a way for us to do it, but there are many ways. And I think in this hour of our country, standing up for our African-American brothers, sisters, friends, neighbors, as they face grief and pain and injustice, is another. I know I've sent a letter, and I hope you all have a chance to read it, and I want to continue that discussion. But it's a way for us to love, as Christ loved. Jesus taught his disciples to pray for the kingdom of God to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the very first thing he teaches them to pray is this. Pray for your daily bread. And he teaches this. Uh, uh, to pray for their daily bread because God is the one who provides for us both physically as well as spiritually. You see, our lives, our whole being is in God's hand. Everything that we have is from him. It's why Jesus gives thanks here in the text. He gives thanks uh, to God for the bread and then he blesses God for the fish. And it's interesting because I think According to commentators, anyway, it was very uncommon to to give thanks for other things than bread. Bread was kind of this symbolic uh, acknowledgement by the Jewish people. They would always thank God for the bread. And then, you know, there was other things in the meal, but that was the symbol of that provision of God um, uh, for for people in general. And here, there's there's a thanks or a blessing for the fish. And commentators think that it's possible that the reason for that is because it was a mixed crowd. It was Jews and Gentiles alike. And that Jesus was in particular instructing the Gentiles that everything is from God. All that we have. The daily practice of asking and thanking God for our daily bread reinforces and reminds us that all we have, all that we are, is from him, and to him. And, and I think that helps us. It helps us to hold loosely the things that we have and to give them joyfully and freely to others. Everything we have comes from the Lord. Thirdly and finally, because all that we have is from God, including our daily bread and the bread of life, the word of God, Finally, because of all these things, I encourage you, come, all you who are hungry, come, feast on Christ, our heavenly bread. As I stated earlier in Mark, uh, he shares, uh, as I stated earlier, Mark shares uh, 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 this other mass feeding on account, uh, feeding account to highlight the dullness of the disciples. Uh, he, He also does it to show God's patient love towards them and helping them to understand who Jesus is. But in reality, this isn't just the second time that God has provided food in the wilderness. 
God had daily provided food in the wilderness for God's people for 40 years. Manna from heaven. Poop. Bread. Uh, Manna is a a word that comes from Hebrew that means, what is this? (laughs) Poop. Bread. What is this? Hmm. Every day. 40 years. And there are other echoes in our text from that Exodus account, from those years of wandering in the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 19, and particularly, we see some echoes. You see, Exodus 19 was a moment where God's people had been brought up out of Egypt through the Red Sea, and they'd brought to the, been brought to the foot of Mount Sinai. And in this moment, they were preparing themselves to receive God's covenant, to receive the law. And on the morning of the third day, Moses brought the people out to meet God. And God's glory came down upon the mountain. The text says that the whole mountain trembled greatly and there was smoke and fire. And God warned Moses not to let the people push into, to, to push into the glory cloud, to keep them at distance, lest they perish. The glory of God was there visibly manifest on that mountain. It was a terrible and awesome moment. And in that moment, God revealed his covenant law to the people. And the text says that the people were overwhelmed and afraid. And in the context of that giving of the law, God said these gracious words, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And earlier in chapter 19, before the giving of the law, he said to Moses, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. See, in that glorious, awesome moment, God's great covenant love was being revealed. In our text, there is no mountain, there's no fire, there's no smoke. But don't miss it. The glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ is being revealed. His power And his covenant love are being wondrously manifest in his provision for these people. He takes the seven loaves and the several little fish and he turns to heaven and he gives thanks and blesses the food. And he breaks the loaves and the fishes and he distributes them to the myriad of hungry, fearful, broken, needy sinners. And there was more than enough. His grace was overflowing, and it satisfied. And while the bread satisfied their hunger, Jesus was, in fact, offering himself. He was offering himself as a satisfaction for the hunger that resides in each of our souls. Israel of old got tired of the manna. What is this turned into? What is this? And they often 
turned from God who rescued them from Egypt, who bore them on eagles' wings. They turned from God. They received the law and they broke it. God graciously provided everything that they needed. Food, water, protection, His very presence. Yet in their sin, they rejected Him. But He sent His Son. The bread of heaven, all that manna, that what is this, is now revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can say with eyes of wonder, who is this that gives himself for us, that he willingly breaks himself, that he offers himself as a broken body to rejuvenate, to restore, to sustain, to give us salvation and life. Friends, he calls you who are hungry, who are broken, who are weary, to come to him, to feed on him, to be nourished and satisfied by him, for he is the bread of heaven. Let's pray.